Moncrief on News Talk with Avant Money. Money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards. Avant Card Dark Trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. And you are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cent. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. Time now for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Afternoon, Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. Here's your first question. My husband would regularly give treats to our kids, 10 and 12, but I've been trying to encourage them to stick with healthy foods and minimise sweets, particularly in the last year or two, as they can really overdo it with sugar. My husband, however, continues to bring home packets of sweets and chocolate bars for them and makes them promise not to tell me. It's now become like he is sneaking them treats behind my back, which they love and he delights in. I feel I'm on my own in trying to keep all of us on a healthy lifestyle and I'm sick of being the bad cop. But my husband just seems to find it hilarious. I don't know if this is a parenting question or more a marriage guidance kind of question. And, and you know, sometimes they come in like that because there can be an overlap, can't there? And I just think I'm re- listening to you say that, Sean, going, OK, Dad, stop. You just need to stop this because of the good cop, bad cop split doesn't actually serve anyone well. And it might be amusing now, but it just can spiral because and we've said this before, you know, children do need boundaries and limits because it really creates that interstate felt safety. You know, they feel emotionally stable and safe within relationships where there are clear boundaries and limits. Now, they're not going to thank you for it, but it does have that, you know, pro-social effect. It strengthens emotional security, but they also need flexibility, you know, a structure that bends without breaking over rigid parenting. But more than any of that, they need to know their parents are in it together, even if you're parenting apart, by the way, because otherwise they quickly learn that they can split between you. And this will always and repeatedly create tension and power struggles where they just don't need to be and where they shouldn't be. You know, it also creates a confusion and uncertainty for children. You know, it bubbles into it can it can anyway bubble into things like anxiety or stress related stuff. But, you know, it will certainly create resentment and tension between parents like we're seeing here. Now, I think, and Sean, you'll know this as well, like children will always work out which parent to go to on mm-hmm. different issues as they're grown up. Like that's that's quite normal. You know, they might know, you know, their mother is going to be more relaxed about the outfit they're wearing or, you know, their dad or other parents going to give them a, a lift somewhere they want to go or one of you is going to write a note quicker to get them out of PE or whatever it might be. Like they, they work that stuff out and it's fine across the board because it's really the, It's really the extremes, the polarization. And if one parent is feeling I'm being made into a bad cop here and healthy eating is a red line issue for me, I really need the kids eating this. I'm trying to instill healthy eating habits. Then it's not one of those softer things, because when we have trigger issues, it's often healthy eating is one of them. We see it when it might be homework or discipline bedtimes, whatever it might be. You have to find key points that you can agree on because that really helps you to work out your shared message for the children. So I think it can be useful to agree that when one of you does or says something that goes against the parenting structure, you've pre-agreed, let's put it that way, okay, you'll have a non-verbal signal that means you're going to set aside time later to talk about it. Basically, you're agreeing to have those disagreements in private and not in front of the children. But always find areas that you are strongly aligned on, like maybe both of you agree that play is really important or our children should engage in hobbies that they enjoy or 
our children need to take their prescribed medication at the prescribed times, you know, things that you were like, we're both strongly on the same page and then work at finding one key point in every area that you're not quite in agreement on that you can say, well, I don't fully agree with this, but on this point, yes. So, for example, in this one, Sean, they might kind of say, look, I don't want them eating so much uh, sweet treats during the week, but you like to bring them home a treat that comes from you and you like the kickback you get from that. So let's agree that on a Friday or a Wednesday or pick one day a week where you are comfortable with that Mm. and you agree to do it that way. So even if you're like, well, I'd rather they had no treats during the week, you are saying, but go on Wednesdays, we're in agreement on that. I think it has to be about compromise. But if you give kids the idea of don't tell your mom or don't tell your dad, um, that can spiral into uncomfortable places. These kids are 10 and 12. They're about to hit adolescence and they're going to do their own version of splitting without your help in adolescence. So I think I try and rein this one in for your own sake. Yeah. And that, it might sound like I'm over talking something about treats, but actually it's more the it's more the the framework around how you're doing this. It's not just the sweets. It's 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 also he's colluding with the kids exactly. against the mother. Uh, and that's exactly. that's more poisonous really or potentially poisonous. It that's it's it's the potential it really is. And if mom has kind of said, "Look, I really want to tackle this issue with us as a family." Then it's actually really undermining of her efforts as well yeah plus also yeah you're right they're 10 and 12 they're heading into the season for oh Oh, is that the smell of drink on your breath kind of stuff so don't tell mom don't tell dad you're the one who has set up the groundwork for them to follow that so i would change this in and you know how do you do that sean it's like you know if you've already kind of said wink wink nudge nudge don't say anything it's okay is to go do you know i got that wrong i really shouldn't have said that from now on we're going to do it this way and you put a structure in place Right. My eight-year-old son is very anxious, anxious about everything, but school especially. I brought him to the doctor and he prescribed me with melatonin to help him relax uh, and sleep at night. This worked for the first few nights, but now he wakes soon after going to sleep, all anxious once again. Is there anything you could advise me to do? So, I mean, there isn't a whole lot in here other than, you know, you went to your GP and you discussed it, which is, of course, a really sensible thing to do. But, you know, I'm not sure. Have you sat with your son, for example, and invited him to tell you the story of these feelings? Like what's his version or his narrative around this? Have you met with his teacher to explore their observations of his school experience as well? And how long is this anxious behavior present and going on so I feel like I'm hitting you back with more questions but just because all of that is really relevant like if you haven't sat with him do if you haven't spoken with his teacher yet do or if you did some time ago it might be no harm to revisit that conversation and if this is going on days versus weeks versus months there are different kinds of approaches to it I mean I would there's a couple of things you can do at home and I'll certainly go through those but just because and we it comes up in so many questions unfortunately at the moment when I'm suggesting maybe outsourcing this or going to consult with a suitably qualified child psychotherapist or play-based therapist on this there are epic waiting lists you know mm. in private and public sector at the moment and I, I really wish it wasn't so but you know I'm certainly aware that it is so I suggest actually that you do a, a, approach somebody 
you know, have a chat with them or, you know, a correspondence that's outlining what's going on and get on a wait list. It might take a number of weeks, even a month or two to get an appointment, but get on a list sooner rather than later. Because one of the things we would look at here is if his overt behavior is anxiety and, you know, the doctor, you know, it was disrupting his sleep, attended to the sleep disruption. And that was moderately successful for a short space of time before that anxiety reared its head up again is what is underpinning the anxiety what is driving it so i think you need some support as does he in getting underneath this anxiety and what might be contributing to it because otherwise you're almost just putting a band-aid on something that needs much deeper exploration and again he's he's you know eight years old so we're not talking about going into therapy for years i think sometimes that can be quite a scary thought oh i don't think we're at the stage of needing therapy but therapy doesn't have to be something that you feel we're in dire straits now we need it it can be something we take a more pro and ideally would be something we take a more proactive approach to let's go there and just work this out now before it further escalates and i think it might give him and you a deeper understanding of what's going on but also a way of coping with it now at home a way of kind of really investing and parenting with emotional fluency and being able to really articulate those because feelings are hard to talk about for grown-ups, right? You know, it's also very difficult for children who are still developing a language about expressing their feeling states is that you could play, you know, feelings Jenga, just get a set of Jenga blocks and a Sharpie pen and write things that worry me, things that make me laugh, things that scare me, things that whatever it is, and play that or a time when, and you get some relational episodes, a time when I was sad, a time when I was scared, something that happened in school, something that happened at home, put a variety of half sentences that whoever pops out the block you or him or anyone else in the family who might be playing because you can have everyone join in you know can get to articulate and finish that sentence and the other one I've mentioned before but it's a really nice one that parents can do at home is to build a body map of feelings with him and have him lie down on a big piece of paper trace around him and with a range of colors identify a color a different color for each feeling you know and and a whole array of them you know happy excited curious um playful but then also sad frightened scared anxious whatever you want angry whatever you want to put in there and he colors in his body where each of those feelings live and you get a sense of where is he holding all of these feelings in his body? And how can you help him to move that or think and feel that through with, tell me the story of that feeling, a time when it happened. And don't jump in to fix it, but you can say, oh, I had a feeling a lot like that once. And here's my story and what I did about it. So you can offer some suggestions without saying here's how you fix it mm -hmm. because we really do want him developing some control over this as well and um, increase his sensory play because it's really effective at taking us out of our busy ruminating agitated heads and bringing us down into those more now moments present moments in the body it's also a great way of working through things we're holding at an embodied level and just letting us process and work it through and anything that involves a bit of rhythm and synchrony so clapping games dance sequence games um anything like you know the cup song playing with cups and rhythm any of that rhythm and synchrony is a really effective way using play to trigger those parts of the brain associated with emotional regulation and that can be quite effective at just 
de-escalating some of that anxious arousal. Now, that can be helpful at home, but I would recommend that alongside consulting with somebody in this instance. Now, uh, another question, again, uh, a lot to do with emotions. I'm at my wit's end. My daughter is seven, has always been a very emotive child, expressing herself readily and openly. We thought this was normal for her to experience these emotions quite strongly, and we teach her how to regulate them. But she's now in senior infants and still struggling to control herself. She regularly flies off the handle if she wants something and doesn't get it immediately, e.g. if I say no to her, she will stand in the kitchen and scream at the top of her lungs for five solid minutes. And when that doesn't get my reaction, she will start to throw things or threaten to break things she knows I won't let her break, therefore guaranteeing my reaction. We have done everything, the naughty step, ignoring her bad behaviour and rewarding the good, sticker charts, talking to her when she's calm about how unacceptable her behaviour was. Sometimes she does express remorse and even shame and she's better able to to control herself in school. But she has had frequent outbursts. Is it time to bring her to a psychologist? I never thought we'd get to that point, but I feel that we failed her. Do you know, it's interesting, Sean, because in this letter, when you said, you know, she's now in senior infants, what I'm hearing in my brain is she's only in senior infants, you know, know, because she's she's still very, very young. And I think as parents, sometimes we can expect too much of our children too young. And, you know, a lot of what this parent has tried, you know, the naughty step, ignoring bad behavior, rewarding good sticker charts. They're very behavioral responses. And she really needs at this age and stage of development emotional co-regulation, which is that children under seven, and again, you know, don't hear me saying that as a a chronological age, because you might be, well, she is seven, you know, why isn't she doing it yet? But emotionally, developmentally, children under seven, they don't self-regulate their emotions. They co-regulate in response to an available caregiver, their parent their teacher, they're important adults. So when they lose it, I'm saying when, not if, so when they lose it, if we lose it with them or when we lose it with them, and I'm noticing here, you know, this parent says, I don't react, but there she does things to guarantee my reaction. We don't know what that reaction looks and sounds like. Um, But when we lose it with our children and we're just shouting at each other, you can't co-regulate rage with rage. So the only one who needs the time out in that scenario is, in fact, the parent. Because you have to come down. You wouldn't come down to a resting state because you'd be some kind of robot not to be affected by a child shouting and roaring and threatening to break things. But if you can de-escalate yourself, and self-regulate yourself so that you're about 20% beneath where she is, you can reach her and bring her down with you. Because often we tell our kids, you know, calm down, stop shouting. And in the history of being upset, even as adults, that really, the words calm down do not affect a calm response in any of us. So as parents, we need to think about how rather than telling our children or instructing them they need to change their behavior, we need to be the calm through which they are calmed. So that's what I mean by co-regulation. And how children really nurture and develop their own capacity then for self-regulation is by us being that kind of thermostat that controls the heat of the situation with them, they're also going through those three stages of developmental play, you know, I've mentioned on here before. And I'd be curious about this little girl's experience of play. You know, did she do a lot of that sensory, tactile, exploratory, messy play when she was under four years old? Did she do enough of that story, small world play, the little characters having scenarios and experiences when she was under, say, five, five and a half years old? Did she do that developmental role play because it's those play experiences 
that give our children those important social skills of, you know, understanding where about boundaries and limits, understanding that there are multiple perspectives and thoughts and feelings on the same scenario, understanding what it's like to be in different kind of roles in life, what it's like to be the parent, what it's like to be the one in charge versus the one who's really not in charge, which is the experience of children. And without that, without those rich play experiences in early childhood, self-regulation is very, very difficult to do. So it's not something we can teach or verbally instruct them. It's something they develop through experience. So I would be thinking, you know, go back and have a think about what her early play experiences were. You know, I, I'll share a link on my Instagram stories later about a, a little piece of any if, if that parent's listening or anyone else is like, oh, I'd love to know more about that, where I can, you know, for time where there'd be more detail on it. I'm happy to do that. But, you know, just overall reading this, it struck me that children don't seek to be difficult for us. They do seek to show us that they're having a difficulty and need our help. And so when a child seemingly is orchestrating overt behaviors that you feel are designed to elicit a reaction from you, try to reframe that in your head as my child is coming up with all kinds of negative, but coming up with all kinds of strategies because they need a connection with me. They need me to come to their level and to co-regulate and help them to master this overwhelming feeling that they can't make sense of in the moment. And they need me to organize that with and for them so we can both develop an understanding of what is going on here? So I would take a much more relational response to this rupture than these behavioral ones, because until she's self-regulating these time out things, these naughty steps or thinking steps or whatever you want to call them, you're really asking a dysregulated child to sit there, think about what you did, make meaning of it. And in this arbitrary amount of time, I will decide, come back and tell me how sorry you are and what you've learned from it. That's way too much for a child who's not self-regulating their emotions to actually do. Mm. So it's not going to work. And that then gets, you know, it builds frustration in us parents. I'm trying all these strategies and nothing seems to work. Okay, so maybe they're the wrong strategies. Yeah. Maybe actually there's another way of doing this. So I would come back and take a more emotionally connected response to this and looking at what is the story of her feelings? What is she trying to communicate? And what other ways can I help her express the difficulty she's having? Uh, the, 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 the little detail in there about she breaks things, you know, almost like mm. she, she's trying to antagonize her mother. Is, is that what she's trying to do? I mean, not consciously. I think she knows it's going to pull mom in. Like when you say you don't give her a reaction, again, I don't know what that means. Does that mean you don't give her any response? Does it mean you just, I'm not, I'm ignoring this. I'm not going to be pulled into it. Mm -hmm. Because when we kind of withdraw or shut ourselves off, we think I'm just not getting pulled into it. The child thinks you're withdrawing from me. You're responding to my need with silence. I better get louder to make sure you hear me. And that way I will pull you in for the connection I'm seeking. So I know you're not going to let me break your favorite vase. So that's the very thing. Hey, I'm going to break your vase. See me, I'm holding it. I'm going to break it. All of a sudden you stop what you're doing and you are attending to me. So it can be in a very unhelpful for everyone involved. It can be effective at a way of getting my needs met. I think she needs to know there are other ways 
of you coming to her in those dysregulated times. I think this needs to be, some kids can respond well, Sean, to these overt behavioral uh, methods of correcting behavior and other kids don't because it's not about the overt behavior. It's about the emotional state that's underpinning it. And you've got to go there and help her to soothe and co-regulate the emotional upset so the overt behavior disappears itself. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We do have to take a break after that. Should all kids do extracurricular activities? Moncrief on News Talk. With Avant Money. Money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards. Avancard DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. 53106 is our text number. That will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Joanna Fortune is still with us. Next question. This, I think, is a pretty familiar one for a lot of parents. How important is it for a child to do extracurricular activities? My daughter is 11, and like most kids, she's had the chance to try a number of different after-school classes. She's tried piano, flute, ballet, Irish dancing, yoga, hip-hop, basketball, camogie, football, (laughs) swimming, and drama. Think, Think of the carbon footprint of all that driving around Uh, usually after the second or third term she insists she's not enjoying it and gives up at the moment she isn't doing a single activity outside school I've asked her is it because she doesn't get on with the other kids but she says she just doesn't like it anymore did I do the wrong thing letting her give up after the first few activities I know it's important for children to be well-rounded. Should I be forcing her to stick with something? I mean, no. The quick answer is don't force her because then you're actually, all you're going to bring into your life is a battle about, you know, you're not practicing, where's your stuff? Let's go, let's go. And there's no fun in that for anyone. But I do think, and I, I what I'm gathering is she certainly has, that if you've paid for a term of something, if your child's like, oh, I really want to learn the flute or I really want to take up this hobby and you pay for a term, your expectation is that they see out that term Unless now there's something else going on and there's a massive level of distress, don't force that. But if it's just I'm not bothered going, go, well, you'll be going for the 10 or 12 weeks that I've paid and then we can talk about it. And I think that's a good expectation. But this is a little girl who... My goodness, talk about well-rounded. There isn't a hobby out there she hasn't tried out, to be fair to her. And you're saying it's usually after the second or third term. So she is completing the paid term plus another one or two and then saying she doesn't like it. So there's something for me about this little girl just at the moment and so far while she's open to trying new things and a range of things, hasn't found her passion. She just hasn't found the thing that really excites her. Because children do benefit, you know, from extracurricular activities. You know, it helps to extend social networks because, you know, they're they're usually coming into contact with children their own age or, you know, within a developmental swing of them that is outside their typical school peer group or certainly not exclusively their school peer group. So they have to meet new kids and introduce themselves and form new relationships. That's really good for them. You know, in terms of developing social skills, it also increases their confidence that they can go somewhere, try something new, you know, develop mastery, you know, develop skills and it's opportunities for mastering that and doing something um, fun, you know, just having a bit of fun. That's also good for them. Let's be honest. You know, it's not just all about they, they'll become super rounded people because fun is a big part of becoming a well-rounded human being. But at a certain point, they do need to express a desire and a preference, you know, something they enjoy doing. So, I think, you know, I do like the idea of children having a something. You could select three activities broad range and you have many many that she's given a go to think from so you might be saying 
you could go back to some of them that in retrospect she's like you know it wasn't as bad as I thought maybe if I went back at it again but whatever way you do this select three but you have to be totally happy with them in terms of their location the time they're on and the cost of going to them don't offer her what would you like to do in this open-ended way and she comes up with some super expensive hard to source (laughs) activity and you're like well okay not that and she's like well I tried what more do you want from me you know come up with things and say to her out of this three this pre-approved three I'm saying three, you could have five, you could have two, whatever you want. Um, You know, pick one that you're happy with. So she must choose one, but it's her making the choice. You're going to sign her up for a term and say, you're going to complete this full term before you switch. Because there's something shown for me, like we have this idea that when kids take up an extracurricular activity, they will stick with it, you know, for years and develop competence and, you know, skills. And actually, you know, she... If she's always doing something and it happens to be something different, she's still doing something. So I would think even if she's willing to do something for a term and something else for a term and something else for a term, so long as she has something going on, even with the switching, I'd be happy with that. Because she's, yeah, look, at she's doing a bit of everything and all of nothing. But she's certainly open to trying things. And I think that's a really great a great part of this I'm positively reframing here but I'm just that is such a long list of activities for an 11 year old to have tried yeah you know isn't it like there isn't I can't see anything missing from there it's got the sports it's got the you know the dancing in there the music the drama there's tons of stuff going on so maybe just sit with her and and like you've done for us go so here's all the things you tried why don't we go through it and mark out of 10 or using different color stickers, which, you know, what order of preference were they? And then say to her, is there any of those that you'd like to shortlist to go back and try another time and try it again for a term? Now, oh, you didn't do Irish dancing since you were seven. You're now 11. I wonder if you were to go back or whatever it is, you know, that you pick something like that. I think I'd sit down with her, but she is 11. You know, she is also coming into that age where, her her friends are a big part of her social and emotional development. Is there anything her friends are really invested in that that might be a hook as well, is what I'm wondering? Um, something like that. There's a lot of these activities as well. The one thing that isn't there, is there a scout club or huh. you know something like that in your area, which isn't about going and taking a lesson every week, but is about having a social engagement with kids who have shared interests. That's and funny. Somebody interests. just texted in about the Irish Girl Guide saying it's the best fault. Perfect. So, yeah. So yeah. any, I think something, it's the one thing when I look at this that would give her, you know, that bite-sized experience, there'd be a varied um, exposure to lots of things to try as part of that. I think that could be great. They're, they can be, depending on where you live, they can be quite hard to get a place in. So if that is something you're going, oh, that'd be great. Get on it quick. Yeah. Uh, get somebody else well get that girl music lessons she has tried flute and piano uh, so yeah. uh, um, that's uh, though this person recommends guitar it could spark a real passion and she'll have it for life if she wants it it'll keep her occupied at home too unless she decides to learn to play the trumpet or something your neighbours won't might thank you for that one <laughs> yeah. uh, and Jim says tell that parent not to worry for another 10 years when it's college and jobs they're dropping out of every few weeks that's fun yes it is Jim indeed <laughs> uh, one of my children is known as the three degrees because she didn't get any of them. Uh, Right, uh, I have uh, seven-year-old triplets, three girls, and I have noticed that one of them is being ignored by the others. I have asked them if there is an issue, but it's always a firm denial from the three of them. I have a gut feeling, though, that there is something going on, but what can I do if they are all saying there isn't? I'm worried and feel helpless. I mean, in one way, believe them. 
if they're all telling you there's nothing going on, but just trust your gut and keep an open eye, an open mind and an open eye on this, if you like. You know, Sean, I think this is a really interesting question because you've got triplets, right? And they're three girls. And sometimes we expect or even assume that multiples or twins, but in this case, a multiple um, will be very close. They'll be each other's best pals uh, by virtue of they were born together and they're the same age. But so much of their life is going to be together. Again, depending on how big your primary school is, they may all be in the same class all day. They may be all doing the same. We just talked about extracurricular activities. So they're around each other constantly. Um, You know, even other siblings get a break from each other in school because they're in different classes. So they're not getting that. And it's it's also just not always the case that that closeness is there within twins or multiples. You know, there will be times they need a break from each other, but I think it could also be that, you know, individual needs and preferences are causing a break in connection. Um, You know, it can happen that in, and there there have been some studies on this as well, but, you know, it can happen that within triplets that two of them will form a particularly close bond and the other will find their friends outside of the triad. You know, they'll just be like, yeah, I get on ground with them, but they're not my pals. I have other pals. Mm. They're not who I share the closest interest with. I have other people for that. And I, there's nothing in this letter that to- tells us about this, the, the girl who's perceived to be left out. What else has she got going on outside of the sibling relationship? So I think that you could, you know, First of all, look at does she seem upset or bothered or are you more concerned and bothered than she is? And can she invite over a friend to play with? Now, the only thing I'm thinking about that is if you invite over a friend who also knows the other two, it may become about, again, the three of them and not your one daughter. So maybe if you could arrange that she goes on a play date away from her sisters and she has that positive play experience with a pal and maybe that's what she needs more opportunity for. You could also promote a bit of family play that you structure. So if you're seeing that their natural play pattern or inclination is that two of them really like to play in a particular way and the third one has different play preferences, it's like, yeah, I'm not really into that. I'll do something else. Then it can look like she's being left out rather than she's opting out. But if you were to take something... I think something simple like take a balloon and blow it up and tie the knot. And as a group, all of you, um, you might have to adjust your height, you know, be a a sort of tall kneeling position, but keep the balloon up and you call out the body part they're going to use so they can keep the balloon up using the palm of their hand, their thumb, their pinky finger, their pointer, their elbows, make it interesting that they do that. You could also then just take a simple blanket, put the balloon in the middle and they call out each other's names and tilt and lift the blanket to send the balloon to each other. You could do an over under game where you all stand in a row facing each other's backs and the person at the front passes the balloon over their head. The person behind them catches it and passes it behind them but under their legs and you go overhead under legs over the whole way back and forth so you're just playing a range of just fun playful activities that involves everybody equally and you're a part of it and playing with them i think if you do a burst of that kind of family structured play they're having at least a collaborative positive play experience as a triad as a sibling group and then just let them have their play preferences if you have deeper concerns that this is more about an isolation or a targeted exclusion it doesn't sound like that based on the letter but if you did then yeah you'll have to address it more directly with them and see what else is going on but i think it's just sometimes they just they may love each other care about each other but prefer to play with somebody else or play in a different way but if you're 
if you're a, a triplet, is that not kind of really painful if the other two, if the other pair prefer each other than to you? I mean, it is if she's upset and bothered about it. If she's like, why don't they want me to play with them? It isn't, Sean, if she's like, they're happy for me to play with them, but I don't want to play that particular game or I don't like arts and crafts the way they do. I prefer to play something else. And actually, she's happy to do it on her terms. So if she's not feeling left out, then she's not left out. Do you know what I mean? Mm, If she's feeling like, oh, they're really close and I'm on the outside and I'm upset about it and I wish that they would include me, then I would be orchestrating more, even more than I just said there. Like, I think that's a pro, a proactive, let's play together as a family. It's no harm anyway, regardless of where the sibling bond and connection is. But if it was more than that, you would do that in a much more targeted way. Yeah. Actually, before I let you go, John, I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, but, you know, all this extracurricular activity uh, talk, when they're in national school, homework, does it, you know, is it, does it work? (laughs) Is there research to show it does work? Do they learn more by having to come home and do the same thing? I mean, you know, this is always that one that I've I've never changed my answer on this, Sean. I don't believe in homework for primary school age children. I think, you know, if any of us think about it, we spend our full day at work. And imagine you do that. And when you get home, you have to keep working. Mm. And some of us, that is a real experience, by the way. And we don't love it. We don't go, oh, I have to open the laptop and get back at it. But we do that to children. Children really need their afternoons to play because it's how they assimilate and, you know, make meaning of what they learn during the day. It's actually a key part of embedding their learning. If if homework has to be given, I'd much prefer that it's your homework today is to do something kind for somebody in your family. Your homework today is to get outside and find three different colored leaves. You're, you know, that it's something about doing and playing and more active stuff than sitting and rote learning. So, I mean, there is research. There, I mean, look, at depending on what you look up and how you word it, you'll find research to suit the nature of your question. Yes. Um, but there is is research that shows there is little to no, very limited positive outcomes for children at primary school age. Now I'm talking about doing homework. So, I mean, for me, it would be no, it's not necessary. Okay, that's definitive. Uh, Refusing it from here on. Uh, Joanna, always a pleasure. Thanks a million, as always. Uh, uh, Joanna Fortune, there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, will we be able to see the Northern Lights from Ireland? Moncrief. On News Talk. With Avant Money. Money when you need it with Avant Money credit cards. Avant Card DAC trading as Avant Money is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.